0: Okay, we we're now we're recording. Okay. Um so do you want to tell me your maybe a like a kind of a your history as a Christian, maybe your broad the, the broad
1: uh, the broad stroke.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I was born in nineteen fifty one. Uh, back then, it was uh, in the ghetto of uh, the people who had escaped from Oklahoma during the Despo days. Uh, it was called Oildale. A lot of violence, a lot of different things. I was born there. No culture, really. When I was brought up, uh, my whole family kind of talked like this. <laughs> so I was brought up talking, not like a redneck, but for somebody who was just up on the hills of Oklahoma. And yet, uh, in that world, for some reason, I was drawn towards literature, art, history, Uh Time went on, the hippie thing happened, the army thing happened. And you were involved in the hippie movement? I was in the army. It was involved. Well, I was kind of on the outskirts, but right from the beginning, you know, like uh, it was a cultural revolution, but it seemed from the beginning that I saw that that cultural revolution only could go so far. And of course, it turned out to be true. But then there was the Jesus Revolution back in late '60s, which I got involved in right then. Back, you know, '69, went to L.A., worked uh, on the street, a street program, helping people on the street, prostitutes, addicts. Uh, gave a period of my life to that. Learned a lot of things about that. Learned about God's grace, at least at street level. Then, time went on. Uh, There was a church that was started in in California, in the Santa Cruz area, up in the mountains. Back in like 71, 72. And uh, it attracted a lot of people. I worked there with, with... the pastor, I was like the assistant. Uh, had programs on rock and roll stations. It was like really street level kind of a a ministry. And yet we only could go only so far as that, because if within we didn't we didn't know a whole lot about the Sacramental Church nor about history. Uh, we were versed in a lot of uh, this, which I would call the saints of Protestantism, which there were many godly men, had read their books, but and let's just say even C.S. Lewis, who came close to understanding what that meant, and he talked about the myth-poetic concept of perception, so to speak. And that's what we were seeing, which the church lacked. Because uh, I was commissioned by the pastor of this church To do one thing and spend all my time is, uh, this was like in 72, to write up a, um, let's just say, a teaching uh, that we could teach a church about baptism, the history of baptism. Um, Certainly a lot of people got baptized all over, but what was the history? We didn't know. Most of us didn't know anything uh, before the Reformation. So I started digging, and it was hard to find. And then I came across this one book on the Incarnation by St. Athanasius. That gave me an inkling of something about what a sacrament is. We started looking at sacraments. We started saying, oh my gosh, uh, we don't even know what the hell a sacrament is. We have faith. We have a simplicity, uh, and and God's grace is working here. But it's it was like a uh, it was like a lake. Water came in, water went out, uh, and uh, a lot of the work had to do with using our energy. Perhaps we were even involved in what I would call the cult of personality, based on personalities, based how they preach, based how this and that, but not saying all that, not saying that God's grace was not there. And at that point, we started uh, looking at Catholicism, the, uh, we started looking at the traditional Lutheran Church, and we started looking at orthodoxy. And it was at about that very same time that we came in contact with uh, then Father Sarah from Rose, which is another story. But he, he opened up some doors.
0: Do you um, want to say more about that? No.
1: Yeah. It's a mysterious thing. Hmm. I've met a lot of mis- different people throughout my travels. and. Uh, And not one is above another in some areas. But he certainly was a... a, He made a big difference because he was able to articulate and uh, understand where we were at. His words to us, even back then, was, be cautious, go slow. Uh, But anyhow... Long story short, through different means and times of uh, uh, I found myself in Russia during, right after uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union and thus becoming acquainted with what I would call uh, the ancient spirit of orthodoxy. uh, Which uh, what was my first impressions? Well, I flew into S- uh,
0: Saint Petersburg. Uh,
1: I still had the you know the, upri- you know the upbringing of of people who were from the land the uh, the Okies, but I also had educated myself. And so, but my mind wasn't really cluttered up at that point. So when I was able, landed in St. Petersburg for the first time in Russia, I had uh, six hundred dollars in my pocket, no weight getting back home. So I was committed, so to speak. But my first impression was chaos, desperation, hope, barbed wires, dogs guns, outside markets, grayness. It was, in, It was. I think it was in the end of May. And I was taken to an Orthodox church right from the airport. But the airport was really, di- it opened my mind up, like, okay, you're in a whole different world. But it wasn't until I got to the Orthodox Church, which they were just starting to have services. Everything was closed down right before that. We're talking about the beginning of the thaw. And when I got to this old ancient Orthodox Church, it was like I had walked into the ancient world. They weren't nice like us. here in America. They were not polite. People were trying to get into church. They were crowded. Uh... There was all kinds of people: peasants, mafia people, regular people, Orthodox people. There was this one priest who was there, who had just been let out of the Gulag not too far beforehand, and he was considered a saint. He was an older man. I didn't know any of this. All I know is this one guy named Doctor Smirnov picked me up at the airport and told me that we're going to go see this beautiful, as he called him, priest who had been a living martyr. And so Dr. Smirnoff and a couple of the big guys, deacons, they ushered me through all this crowd of people, elbowing people. I didn't know where they were taking me. But they took me through the church. It was crowded, hot, smelling, incense. It was just like it had to be at the temple sometimes, way, way back. It wasn't orthodoxy that had gone through here in our, in our country. It was uh, relatively civilized. This was something different. I had seen the revivals that had happened here in America back in the early 70s with the Jesus Revolution. This was a different kind of revival. They elbowed, elbowed me through the, the crowd, got me up there, took me behind uh, the econostas, Back then, I couldn't even have told you really uh, what that all meant. All I know is where are they taken me, <laughs> and they took me in the back. And there was these priests, and they were and they were having a service. They were going through a service, but way in the corner was this old man with a, uh, a riasa on. He didn't have uh, liturgical garments on; just a simple black riasa, and he was. That's the one we wanted to see. And he was the one who had been in the gulag. And he was drinking tea in the back, you know. I go, wow, this is different. I sat down. There was a deacon there. And he asked me my name. I didn't know any Russian. And I said, I'm Donald. He goes, where are you from? And I said, well, a lot of places. But let's just say Montana. And he looked at me for a long time. And he talked for a long time with this deacon. I go, what? And the deacon says, excuse me, sir. He said, your name is not Donald. It has never been Donald. Never.
0: It has always been Daniel.
1: And I was taken out of the linear concepts of Western civilization and Protestant, you know, from A to B. And I was lifted up into a space that was timeless. My name has always been Daniel. That was the first taste of the eternal. That right, that moment. And I really was not some kind of holy man at that point. I was there in Russia, working the streets, helping the poor, the hungry, but at night I drank. People gave me whiskey. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But That touched me right there. And then I started to understand that in Russia, the whole concept of holiness is completely different than here in America. We have been marinating with Protestantism for our whole history, but we have to remember that in Russia, there was never a Reformation. And so... I'm plugged into something completely different. A holiness that does not have to be with Protestantism. I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't run around with the people who do kind of religious holiness. Because little by little, going to the monasteries where the rough people are, where I saw people just coming out of the gulag, going to their rooms as they're drinking their tea and smoking their smell at, uh, r- uh, Russian hu- uh, cigarettes. Yet these people had suffered
0: for years in the gulag. They
1: want what you would think of holy men. And I met a few holy men, let's just say, in my time there, but that whole idea is very rare, and there's very few spiritual fathers. Even back in Russia's history, it's been very rare to have one, a true one. I met one, but anyhow, they take me back there. He said, "You," yeah. I went, "Wow!" And uh, the next day, this famous priest, sufferer of Christ, came and picked me up. I didn't even know he's coming, and he took me to this monastery that had been under persecution, had just opened up out of Novgorod. And, and I didn't know. I couldn't understand what they were saying, Doctor Smear, You know, I understood I was going someplace for a couple of days. a monastery so i get to this old monastery there's the priest there and it's a a a woman's monastery but it's going through services there's all these peasants from around the monastery who are there they all look like they could have been living 200 years ago it was cold absolutely cold in there the only warmth was from the candles and the smell of candles burning and wax and honey and the incense and the sweet prayers and i was sitting there and, but i was tired and i hadn't kind of beefed myself up for the orthodox calisthenics so to speak standing there waiting i was weak uh. Here's these kids, 12 years old, standing there. You know, But this little girl came up, and she spoke some English. And she said, Danielle, Danielle, go outside. The sun is shining. Go find the grassy place. Lay down. God's mercy's out there also near the church. She saw that I was cold, and I thought, wow. So I just did that. Walked out. Found this grassy little hill, and I lay there. <laughs> yeah. so they had the service kept going on and they started doing this uh, procession around the church and i happened to be in the circumference of that procession they're going around and so i go oh my gosh what do i do i'm laying here uh, you know it's kind of embarrassing they're not looking but I, you know i'm you know i'm thinking through. and then all of a sudden they all circle me and they're starting to sing uh hymns beautiful hymns and and I was going to get up and the priest spoke in and he goes, oh, Daniel, stay there. We are having a service because there have been 40 martyrs were killed at the place you are laying. <laughs> the communists had killed him. I was goes, no. Lay down. Soak in. Soak in this
0: place. Again. This is a key
1: to what we're gonna be talking about, iconography. The whole concept of what that is and what the ancient faith really means. And what that entails.
0: And so, uh,
1: it entailed a lot. It started a journey, that whole journey of finding a master, becoming Obedient to the Master, going to that, going to Alaska, Kodiak Islands, staying isolated for seven years, coming here the last ten years, working here on the icons, because it is what I could do. I was never going to be a priest. I was never going to be a deacon. That wasn't, you know. I was an Orthodox soldier. I was a layman. I went out on the street, smuggled food into Russia, was arrested, there, all this, that was my, that was my world. But in that world, I was, going to, I was under a master. That's how they teach. One to one, You do everything he does through this whole process. And it was a terrible process. He kept chasing me out of Russia saying, I can't believe I'm even trying to teach an American. There's no poetry in your hand. Your eyes don't know how to see your icons they're just going to be uh counterfeit you're going to look at another icon paint that that, you know no this is about creativity and you've got to learn to give that unto christ Hmm. and i didn't understand that but it was like a cold night in moscow and i was trying to figure all that out and that old song came on the russian radio about the drummer boy you know that song? It's a beautiful song. It's about the birth of Christ, and the, these guys come in and bring him incense and gold, and there's this little peasant drummer boy. Everybody offers to the Christ everything, and he has nothing. And he comes up to Christ, and he says, I have nothing to give you because I can play these drums. Can I play them for you? And I heard that, and I said, oh, yeah, okay. I'm seeing that. That helped me understand what we were doing there. We created a brotherhood. Working the streets, understanding what a warrior was, understanding the dignity of what a layman is. It was
0: raw. It was primitive.
1: There was Miracles. And, uh, but the hardest process was to trust in God's Holy Spirit and not try to create something. Okay? On the radio, on the thing, you know, this and that. I'm glad all my name has been erased because it had all had to do with Russia anyhow. And I figured everything that happened to me that was on, on YouTube has been redacted somehow. Because even when I was there, the State Department of the United States of America were investigating me. Oh, bringing in food, bringing in medicine, dicey times, crossing the
0: border, good times too,
1: 40% of it, I was drunk, I didn't give a damn, I wasn't trying to be some holy man, but I understood what that started meaning then. It didn't mean look like when you come to church like you just ate a pound of raw liver. That wasn't it. This was the time of the underground church, the cemetery church, the people who met outside, the kitchen culture. And for once in my life, I started understanding what sacrament meant, what the priesthood meant what the whole liturgy is about. That prayer, all of this, was not placed in my head but through the years I was there. It's what they call, it. it's a circumcision of the heart. And this is what iconography is. When I was being taught, my teacher said, there's two kind of iconographers, and both of them have their pluses and minuses. There is what we call Lit, the cold artist. He's one who's very precise. Understand, bam. And, you know, huh, there's a place for him. Then you have the hot iconographers, like, like let's just say, uh, there's been many of them through history, but the first one uh, is Rublev, Andre.
0: They're full of color,
1: and, and they t- he took in the Byzantine. How straight, you know, how the Byzantine? Are, you know. No, he took it, and it went through suffering. The floating icons that you see up here, the golden ones, where where we understand that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The first icon ever made was the first verse in Genesis: "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." The spiritual and the material. This is the beginning. There was no Protestants then. There were no holy men then. There was not <laughs> He created heaven and the earth, the spiritual and the material. And he breathed on the material. And, this, and, the, and, and, and the form of the earth was void, without form, and the Spirit of God hovered over it. First thing he said is, let there be light. Bam. So iconography is in celebration of that creativity. The material that God puts light into, a window, a place, an understanding of ancientness. And it's the smell of battle, the smell of sweat, the smell of suffering, the smell of righteousness. It's a lot of different things. But if an iconographer could explain it, then why would he need to paint it? That's Somebody who's trying to do a theological uh, sermon with an icon. That's not what an iconographer does. He realizes that if he's doing an icon of St. Seraphim, that this guy, he's eternal. It's not just some, this is, he, this is some way, that's what I mean about the whole concept of the myth poetic, meaning there was a time in the world where people understood holy places holy waters you know even the pagans understood this tree's different the world was a different place when it was lit by fire and a lot of that has been erased from our memory so to speak during the, the, all the different kinds of Reformation the cultural revolutions materialism all that but within the Orthodox Church you still have a belief in the burning bush, so to speak, which an icon is. So I hope this kind of gives you a little bit of info.
0: Okay.
1: Is this all good?
0: Yeah, whatever.
1: This is good. I mean this is what I'm just saying. This is
0: good. This is good.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I just didn't want you to leave with nothing. And the reason I don't say much about much of this because now I am afraid of words. Didn't our Lord say that you will be judged by every word you spoke? And so if I'm speaking a bunch of words here that goes on, into, you know, I'm going to have to make sure that, wait a second, remember when you said this on YouTube, Daniel? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Well, I think everything I said to you has been honest and sincere so far. And this is why I'd rather be. No one see my face. I, you know what difference does it make? You know, <laughs> really. You know, it's just great you're here. Thank you for coming. Sure. sure. And I'm sorry. You know, uh, just aside, my work is just so demanding. I mean, you know, I see the worst of the worst. People, you know, <laughs> the worst of the worst. During the 40, it's like a, a 36-hour tour, so to speak, mm-hmm. three days. But that's what I've always worked with, with crises. Hmm. And so that's it, brother. Thank you for coming. We can go back a bit. All right. They won't miss us. They'll think
0: of us as heretics.